Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week's guest is the brother of a guest I interviewed back in December. He's a limited master shooter in USPSA. He was second at the Iowa sectional, 11th at Race Gun National Shooting Limited, and 27th at Carry Optics. Join me in welcoming to the show... Howdy. Boom, there we are. Here. Why don't you take a second and introduce yourself? Yeah, so um, you kind of gave the USPSA rundown, but outside of that, I'm 18. Uh, I've been shooting USPSA for about, I think this is my fourth or fifth year. Um, been doing it pretty heavily since all four years. Um, like I said, a master. Um, that's some of my finishes last year. And uh, I'm a freshman in college, so I'm balancing school and shooting and job and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's that's just a little bit about me. That's kind of the USPSA and uh, my life. Oh, okay. You said job. What do you what are you doing? Uh, I'm actually a financial representative at Northwestern Mutual, kind of an advisor, like a financial advisor. And I'm sorry, you're 18, huh? I am. Okay. That's going to bring up a few more questions once we get into the whole college thing here in just a second. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, so we'll come back to that. So you told me um, before we went on the air that you listened to your brother's episode. So you know the toughest questions are the first five questions. Absolutely. All right. So did you did you cheat and study? I I do, I don't even really remember all five of the questions, but I, oh, good. I, do have, I, gen, I do have a general idea. I think of like one or two, and then okay, all right. So the first one's probably the easiest for you. Then favorite movie? Uh, it would have to be probably James Bond's Skyfall. I really like that one. Okay, what is it about the James Bond movies that you like? I mean, I like a lot of action movies, and that's kind of the epitome, I guess, of an action movie. Um, and plus, I just like the Daniel Craig as an actor. I think he's a good actor. Uh, and I like a lot of his other James Bond movies and other movies he's in. So it's kind of all around good for me. Is he out as James Bond? Yeah, his, he did have his last uh, James Bond movie, I think, last year. Yeah, I don't know how to feel how I feel about that. I think you get some good actors in there to play the role well, and just due to the way they do it, they rotate them out and rotate a new guy in. Yep, we'll see. So, what about uh, in less than sixty days, Mister John Wick is going to be back? Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to watch that. Hundred percent. I've seen all the other John Wicks many times. And Have you seen? Yeah, I'm looking forward about- to that one. Have you seen the trailers? I haven't really. I try not to watch too many trailers because I feel like, I don't know. I I just don't like watching them because I feel like also they, they don't really give you a good, super good depiction. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm for sure going to go see it. It's like, it's like a minute and a half of cocaine. Yeah. There it, we go. It, it'll get you amped up. It, it's a heck of a trailer. It, holy cow, I can't wait for it. Maybe I should watch the trailer. You might want to watch the trailer. It's going to be a good one. 
Um, all right. So this is the one I tend to find that everybody has the most difficulty with because 50% mm, or more don't read. What's okay. your favorite book? So just recently, it's actually a, for, it's a book on Formula One. Uh, it was written by Lewis Hamilton. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, with Lewis Hamilton or not, but I got really big into Formula One about a year and a half ago. I've been following it like in depth ever since. And uh, it was just about how he started off in go-karts and makes the jump to Formula One and becomes you know, the greatest Formula One driver of all time. And It's a good book. I liked it a lot. I don't follow Formula One, but I do know the name, and I did know he was a driver, so... Um, where do you, what state are you in? I'm in Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. So there's no Formula One racing around you then? No, the closest Formula One race is Austin. Okay. And that's not close. Nope. If you're into it, who's your favorite superhero? Uh, Iron Man. Oh, Okay. He's a All cool right. guy. Yeah. He's like a self-made superhero. Yeah, he doesn't exactly have like the superpowers, but he's got a cool, cool little uh, neither does Batman. Yeah. So but they're still superheroes. So now this next question is your favorite gun and your favorite caliber, but they don't have to be married together. Just because you shoot limited doesn't mean your favorite caliber has to be forty. Um, favorite gun, probably a 2011. I just really like it. And then probably my favorite caliber, I'd probably say, probably say nine millimeter. And why would you say that? Uh, nine millimeter. I mean, it's just a super fun round to shoot through, whether it's a PCC or a pistol. There's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of recoil or anything like that. It's very manageable and it's, it's just fun. Um, I mean, I've shot a lot of PCCs with it. I love shooting them. And then in particular, 2011 with nine millimeter and they said it doesn't have to coincide, but uh, it's a really soft shooting gun and it's a lot of fun. I feel like nine millimeters, the adults 22. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. All right. So let's back up for just a second. What is it about 2011s that you like? Probably. You know, there's a lot of options, but at the same time, you, there's not a ton you can change. There's, you know, the different barrels, like hybrid barrels, side blocks, and gold barrels, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of versatility in the platform, but it's all under um, kind of one umbrella. There's a lot of dimensions that each part, you know, there's, they all have to fit their own dimensions and um, tolerances and stuff. And plus, I think... Um, I think the craftsmanship that's required to build a good 2011 is impressive. So if you're building a high quality 2011 and you're getting an incredible fitment and stuff like that, I think there's just an art to that. And I really respect that. Well, they definitely look nice. I, I, there are very few 2011s that I, you look at and you're like, Oh, that's not a good looking gun. They are very yeah. aesthetically pleasing guns. Very much so. Is there anything about the trigger? I mean, does that draw you to them or? I've never been a huge trigger snob. I mean, I've shot uh, my carry optics guns, the Sig X5, and I 
I have a gray guns trigger in them now, but originally uh, the stock trigger was fine for me. I'm not a huge trigger snob. I'll probably end up always upgrading my triggers um, at some point, but I don't ever chase a pound, pound and a half trigger in a 2011. I think the one in my gun right now is two and a half, almost three pounds. And I, I've never, I just don't really have a big deal with uh, a super light trigger. Uh, yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think a two and a half to three pound trigger is probably perfect for competition. I don't think you need to go. I think there's a risk going lower than that. So I, yeah. I think that's good. And I and I guess what I'm getting at is, um, you know, there are plenty of just off the shelf guns that the triggers are not very nice. And yeah, and I'll. While Glock may be a very reliable gun, I don't like their triggers. I don't like their grip angle. Their ergonomics yeah. to me don't work. And and that's not a hit on Glock. I mean, like I said, very reliable gun. Morgan Leonhardt loves them. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's not a hit on them. That's just me. That's why I was asking, what is it about the 2011? Uh, so... Yeah. No, I feel the exact same way about Glocks. The ergonomics just don't really work for me too well, but it is yeah. um, a great gun as far as reliability. Yeah, absolutely. Now you were saying, um, oh, actually, let me back up a second. So the, the fifth and final question I usually ask, I try to gear it specifically to the guest. So mm -hmm. here's a, a slight trivia question for you. I know you and your brother shot Carry Optics Nationals. Were you aware there were five shooters named Brown at that competition? This is the first time hearing of it. <laughs> how many of yeah. how many of those with the last name Brown did you know? Uh, Scott, I, that was seriously it. I've I didn't even know that there was anybody else <laughs> named had the last name Brown there. Yeah, so apparently there's three others running around at Carry Optics Nationals with unauthorized users of your last name. Hmm. Yeah, you gotta, you, you gotta, yeah, you gotta watch these people. I've seen people yeah. running around with my last name. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't give them authority to use my name. I don't know where they got that from. Can't have that happening. Never. <laughs> All right. I, I thought it was funny. I was like. Where I I saw both of them at Carry Optics. Where did he place? And I looked and I was like, five Browns. Holy cow. And yeah, just that's, that's nice to me. Not not to pass on, you know, bad luck or bad juju or anything, but one of them got disqualified. Oh. Yeah. I uh I can fortunately say I've never been I have not been DQ'd yet in my career. Knock on so, knock on wood. Yeah. Find wood and knock. knock there wood. you go. There yeah. you go. Now you said when you introduced yourself that you've been shooting USPSA for about four to five years, mm -hmm. but when did you first shoot a gun? Ooh, um, I would have probably been eight, nine years old. That sounds about right. Eight years old. Okay. So about nine to 10 years ago. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? It was a little, Bolt action, single shot, 22. Okay. Just as basic as it gets. Yeah. I mean, when, that's about the age of what my kids were when I got them shooting, and it was a 22, little 22 rifle repeater, 
you know. So just load the little tube and it go tink, 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 tink. It was a great time. There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, so so roughly four to five years after that, you got into competition. How do you go from shooting your first gun at nine to ten years old and then about 13, 14 getting into USPSA? Yeah, um, so my brother, Scott, is the one who discovered more or less competitive shooting. Um, in particular, he discovered three gun and it was something we were very intrigued by, but we weren't entirely sure if it was something we could do at our age at the time. We definitely mm. wanted to explore that, but being, um, I think he was like, I want to say, you know, 12 when he started and I was, um, 13 or 14. So we really weren't sure how well that could go over as far as the training aspect or even competing, if it would even make sense to compete. But um, we were invited one time down to um, a little range down in Ottawa for kind of a US, it's a USPSA style club match. And we started that and never looked back, had a ton of fun and yeah, just got hooked on it. What did you shoot in that first match? I shot a old Beretta 92 FS. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Scott shot a, Scott shot his Glock and then I shot a, my dad's old Beretta 92. Now, what is the age difference between you and Scott? It's less than two years because he's 17, yeah. you're 18. Yep. 16 months. 16 months. Okay. Wow. That, that's pretty close in age. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Laser App. L-A-S-R App. They specialize in laser dry fire training. Super convenient and not to mention super cheap. You can use anything for a dry fire target and any device with a camera for capturing the laser hits. There's even a 30-day money back guarantee. And it's veteran owned. Semper Fi, Ben. You can utilize multiple targets and multiple cameras. It can be as complex or as simple as your heart desires. They even sell steel challenge banners. They sell cert guns and the cert AR bolt so you can practice indoors with your AR for free. There's a newsletter and a forum you can join. When you sign up for the newsletter, they'll send you a free six-part video series. Check out their website. It's a smorgasbord of items to make you better faster. Use the affiliate link on our website or at the bottom of our podcast notes and on YouTube for a 15% discount. Also, use our coupon code in the store for 10% off of other items not necessarily covered by our affiliate link. Thanks for your support, everyone. Without your support, this podcast would be difficult to maintain. Yep. So did you did you guys do a lot of stuff then uh, in shooting together all the time? Yeah, pretty much back then everything was, if we ever went to the range, both of us were there in any aspect, we were both there. So we all, we just kind of grew up and just started uh, doing it all at the same pace and at the same time. So how did that, did you guys train together too then? Even dry fire? Dry fire, 
sometimes it's together. Um, sometimes our schedules don't coincide. Scott dry fires later at night sometimes. Um, and sometimes I'll dry fire in the afternoon. But we do dry fire together sometimes. Okay. All right. So what, what has driven you to limited? What is it about limited that you like? So we started off shooting limited minor and open was immediately kind of what we wanted to, as our end goal to be, but we just started off in limited minor just to get the basics, the fundamentals down of just how to compete basically. And then we love shooting iron sights so much. And then open, we realized how expensive that was. And so we decided to have some 2011s built and just one per person and to really just kind of bear down in one division and see how good we could get and to see if, uh, if we could win nationals and limited because we both like it. Uh, high cap iron sights, fun. And I love, I love shooting iron sights too. It's a challenge in its own way versus a dot. It's, it's just a little bit easier, but yeah, that's kind of, um, at least was my thought process and choosing limited to stick with it. Now you were 11th at nationals. That's pretty, that's a very solid finish. Um, have you, or do you plan on doing anything different this year or just double down on what you've been doing? Yeah. So yeah, 11th last year at nationals, I was pretty happy with that. And this year I've already started to make some changes. The big one I've already started to make was, um, physically, like I started to work, I started working out a lot more. I've lost like almost 12 pounds since nationals. So, um, I've really just started to like kind of build up the physicality part of it, you know, exploding out of positions and stuff like that. I got a personal trainer. And so I'm going to see how much that changes things. And then I'm going to really bear down on limited more this year, but we're also going to try carry optics nationals again and see what that, see what happens there. All right. I have so many questions right now. <laughs> I, I have like a hundred questions running through my head. Okay, um, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I've written down. So if you see me looking down, I'm just, whoop, I take notes. Taking notes. Oh, yeah. yeah, so I don't forget questions. So I've got one written down about your working out, um, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to talk about college and, and I want to see where all that fits in. So just a side note question here. You know, there's the um, everybody just voted whether or not they want to see limited optics uh, for as a provisional division for the next year. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Does that interest you? Being, I mean, it would be a fun division, but I don't see the point in making it uh, anything to really explore. It's um, yeah. I just don't see it as being a necessary division in any way. I feel like it's just driving a wedge between limited open and carry optics and it's really not necessary agree you're just splitting those people further yeah okay all right now college are you local or do you go away 
So yeah, at least for my first two years, I've decided to stay local. I go to UMKC, University of Missouri, Kansas City, and it's a good college. Gets the job done for my first two years, and then um, we'll kind of see see what I decided to do as far as my last two years when I'm getting my degree. But yeah, that's still totally up in the air. Okay, now how local is that to like how far is that from where you live? Oh, it's only a 20 minute drive. So it's very local. All right. Now I want to get back to the working out part. Um, do you work out at college or is this just a gym nearby your house? Yeah. So I am basically out of my house 10 hours a day. Um, school eight to five and then work eight to five Monday through Friday, you know, school between split up schools on Tuesdays, Thursdays, work is Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So my gym is actually, um, on the, it's down by my university. It's about a half a mile from college and I will work out there on the weekends. And then sometimes in between classes, maybe if class got canceled, I'll go to that gym. I like working out there a lot more than the school gym school gym's a little bit small and stuff like that but i i just try to fit in working out about four to five days a week mostly four but yeah now all right the you i'm kind of surprised you said the university's gym is kind of small do they have any like kinesiology uh personal trainer um, degree programs where you could hook up with one of those students and they could be your trainer at the school gym or are you finding that that's not the case and that's why you're going to an outside gym? Um, to be honest, I have never really explored that um, as a opportunity. Um, but the, the real reason why I don't work out at the university gym is they have a rather, like, very much a split gym. It's half is cardio machines, like treadmills and ellipticals and things like that. And then they have right. about two squat racks and then a dumbbell bench and a couple cable machines. Whereas the gym I go to is actually um, by the Chiefs. It's a Chiefs gym for the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, wow. It's, okay. Yeah, it's it's actually sponsored by Patrick Brown's wife. She's the one who sets it up. So it's a very well equipped gym and I really like working out there because even when it's busy um, there's there's always machines open and stuff like that okay so now that that was going to lead into my other part so it sounds it sounds to me like you're doing some weight training mm -hmm. are you doing anything specifically for agility yeah so that's where the personal trainer actually came in I acquired a personal trainer through one of my family members who was working with him. And so I've been working with him about a month and a half now. Um, and he, it's been going great. And that's been the primary focus is he'll run me through a lot of agility exercises and give me some homework to tack on when I'm at the gym uh, that I can work on at home. And I, I go to him about once a week and just see the updates. He gives me meal plans and things like that. We check weight stuff and make sure I'm on the right track. 
been really improving. Okay, meal plans. I want to delve into this a little bit more because one, you're 18. So two, your metabolism is going to be high. I mean, looking at you already, your build is such that you have a higher metabolism. So is the meal plan to get you the amount of protein, carbs, fat that you need and the right amount to help with gaining the explosiveness? Yeah, so the whole point of that is really to build, uh, to help kind of replace the lost fat with some muscle. I don't want to put on a ton of weight and have to really work uh, as far as the agility. Again, I don't want to be back up to the weight that I started at at nationals, but we want to keep my body fat lower and just make sure I'm getting enough carbs to keep my energy up throughout the day and protein to make sure, you know, my muscles are growing and I'm not going to get tired and things like that. But yeah, he's done, my personal training has done all the math and calculations to figure out um, my base metabolic rate and things like that. And he's done the math, figure out how much I need to eat in a day, especially even if I'm just um, going to be sitting in the office for, you know, seven or eight hours and more or less on end, just about some light walking around is all I'm going to be doing for that eight hour period. So he's, he's really working with me. He's working with my schedule and we're making it happen. Man. Now, how, when you're at home and you're doing dry fire, do you ever incorporate any of the agility training with a gun? Um, not a lot. I will do some light, um, like more or less position position stuff. Uh, just to kind of get, not even for the agility aspect as much as entering positions correctly and things like that, make sure my feet are right. But I do, when I am doing that, I do make sure that I'm pushing off correctly and things like that. But it's not like the sole purpose or like one of the things that I focus on. It's it's kind of a supplementary or sub subcategory of what I'm working on in dry fire, yeah. Do you find that going to school full-time has impacted your ability to train negatively? Um, yeah, to be honest, I think it has some between work and school. Um, it is hard to find time considering school. It's not just eight to five, it's eight to five plus homework. And um, yeah, it's definitely been tough as far as figuring out a schedule. And I'm starting to really get the hang of it because it's all starting to show good consistency and things like that. So it's looking up. But um, at first, when I did first start it back up in school, it was definitely really stressful trying to find time and just getting back into it. I'd come home and I'd be exhausted and I just want to go to bed. But now it started to come around and we're making it happen. I feel like a lot of it's just getting into that routine, you know, figuring out what that routine is and making it normal. Yeah. 100%. So Jack, how tall are you? I'm six foot two. All right. So you meet the national champion criteria of being at least five foot 13. So you're good there. You're five foot 14. So you're, you're in, um, that's good. Yeah. So for your height, what are you 
what are you trying to, what's your goal for your weight, your optimal weight? So I started, I was at nationals and I was six foot two, about 183 pounds. And now I'm six foot two, about 173, um, you know, in that area, it, you know, varies day to day sometimes, but my, the height, you know, it's an advantage in certain situations and a disadvantage in some, but right. I've really, the up and down part is where the height kind of gets annoying. You know, you kind of go to a little court. So with also with the physical trainer and things like that, I've been working on a lot of mobility, like just flexibility and things like that. That's not been something I've ever been good at. I've never stretched routinely and stuff. So that's something we've been working on. Uh, I've gained a lot of flexibility. So, you know, getting down low into positions and being able to literally jump out of them and start running. Um, it will see how much of a difference it makes, but so far just from the training that I've done, it's shown pretty tremendous difference. You're going to be building lean muscle mass is what I'm, I'm gathering. You're not doing any crazy heavy weights where you're trying to build mass muscle. Um, yeah. So I feel like you're trying to stay more around the 180. I mean, look, you could reach 185 just working out even with lean muscle mass because it weighs more than fat anyway. Absolutely. But I, I take it you're trying to just minimize your body fat percentage and not gain mass amount of muscle, but yet just become more explosive. Yeah, that's pretty much the goal right now. Further down the road, I'll probably put on some more muscle, like a lot more, a couple pounds and stuff like that. But uh, the goal right now is really to keep the unnecessary weight off, so body fat. And, you know, we'll, we're going to increase, weight is going to increase through muscle mass just because I am working out and I'm not too concerned about right. that. Um so, yeah, that's pretty much the goal right now is keeping off the unnecessary weight and just incrementally getting into the weight gain. If you if you continue down this path, it'll be interesting to see where you are in about three to four years because you're definitely going to be bigger. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not going to be able to stop it, but your frame is big enough that you should be able to manage, you know, 200 pounds should be nothing for you at six foot two. You should still be lean muscular, quick, explosive, all of that other stuff. So it's going to be interesting to, now I'm going to follow you just to see how you change physically and what that does to your shooting. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it will 100% be interesting to see uh, the results and the differences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think your, is your brother doing any of the same stuff that you're doing? As far as working out, he's not, he does not do much in the way of okay. working out. He does some, he does some uh, occasional stuff in our home gym. We have a small, we have a weight rack and some dumbbells and a cable machine in our basement. He does work out there occasionally, but um, as far as I know, it's, it's not uh, like what I'm doing. So race gun nationals was in October. Did you take an off season after that? I did. I took a pretty healthy off season. Um, I didn't really shoot hardly at all between probably towards the middle of November to the end. Just about now is when I'm starting to gonna start kicking it back up. 
So shooting has been fairly scarce in between there. It's mostly just been dry fire. And it's been a it's been a break for sure. Okay, now when you say so, you, you you've taken it probably about a sixty day off season, seventy five days somewhere in there. When you say you've done no live fire, you've only done some dry fire. Like, how frequent is your dry fire, and what are you practicing? My dry fire is it's just about daily, and it's been mostly with um, just my carry optics gun. Actually, I've been having some fun with that, getting ready for carry optics nationals. My 2011 actually was just dropped off at the maker and he's going to just give it the once over replace, you know, updates and springs, things like that, and just get it uh, to hundred percent again. And, so basically you yeah. dropped it off for an oil change and a 30,000 mile checkup. Yep. Uh, so that's <laughs> been out of my hands now. So it's been the carry optics gun and um, yeah, like any live fire I've had has been, fun with friends actually i had a friend who goes to school in texas a&m and he came back in town and he likes to shoot so we go out and shoot some over break and that's pretty much been the extent of it so a&m is a heavy engineering school is he getting an engineering degree he is going for agricultural economics actually uh okay all right interesting yeah. so are you going to advise him financially on his Agricultural economics. <laughs> I could one hundred percent do that. I could one hundred percent do that. You guys could go into business together after you graduate. We could. Boom! There you go. See, you're welcome. Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Gun Butter. Gun Butter is a premier lubricant for your rifle or pistol. They have grease for parts that need it, like lugs on a bolt gun. Man, do I love a bolt gun! It's a proprietary blend that they won't even trademark so as not to have to give away their trade secrets. Check out the video I put up on YouTube. Uh, look for another one coming soon. I even ran into Rick Powers, an RO at Carry Optics Nationals. He switched to it after listening to our podcast with Mason Litchfield. He loves it. Rob Epifania uses and loves it. Frank Shu uses it and loves it. Use Casual Shooter 20 and save 20% on checkout easy client there <laughs> during that time where you're just having fun shooting with friends and doing some dry fire is it an everyday dry fire like three days a week 30 minutes uh i'd say it's about three days a week uh it was about three days a week yeah and it that was really because I was more or less taking full advantage of it being the off season and between work and school kicking back up. Um, like I said, it would just be the days really got long on me in the beginning since I've gotten used to it. Um, but those days were really long and it would be probably just the weekends if I wasn't, you know, just working more. But yeah, I drive around on the weekends for sure. And then I just I try and find some time during the day. Uh, particularly on school days, um, if I was home, to get just like 20 minutes in, if I could. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I think that's that's a good way to take an off-season, not necessarily to lose so much that you have to, you know, get anything back. I mean, you're maintaining just by doing what you're doing, and then now you get back into it, 
you know, you can start progressing again. So that brings us to where we are today. So now you're starting to get back into training again, shooting training. Yep. You've got carry optics nationals coming up in five months. We're only five months away. So this would literally be like mid May last year before limited nationals. That's where we are. If you were to compare the two, when you start getting back into training, like right now for June, what does that look like? Like what percent is dry fire? What percent is live fire? So, yeah, if we were to get into it right now, it would probably be actually a fair, fairly low percent of live fire, I think, relative to some people. I'd say like 20% live fire um, because dry fire is going to be just about daily. And live fire, um, we are busy as I'm, I'm pretty busy and, you know, Scott's also pretty busy, especially with school and he'll have a job here in a little bit. So live fire is something we're going to try and plan, like more or less schedule, take it out of our work schedule um, and just set aside more time this year. Last year, it was kind of, if the schedule is aligned, it happened. Um, so it wasn't a consistent thing or really as much as we wanted to do it probably. But this year, that'll hopefully that'll hopefully happen and we'll be able to live fire a little bit more than we did last year. Now, when you, when you live fire, I assume, like most people, you've got drills that you're going to work on or specific skills you're looking to improve. Yep. Is, is there anything from last year that you say, okay, these are the things I was 11th last year. I want to be in the top 10. These are the things I need to work on. Yeah. The big one for me that I'm going to start off the year hot in is uh, coming into positions and exiting them, basically like efficiency of movement, um, coming in, shooting, maybe, you know, keep momentum shifting in one direction or the other, if it's possible, just being as efficient as possible in those areas. Cause so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll come in, you know, I'll shoot while I'm coming in, but I'll stand, I'll stop. And then I have to get going again. And if I could just make kind of those smoother, I think there's some tents to be had there. And those tents over, you know, a 20 stage match really add up. So I think, the, I think that's a big thing for me. That was my big takeaway was um, efficiency of movement, which is also where the training has come in. You know, and, I just had Nils on um, and he had even posted a video of it. I mean, as much as he's won, he said this, you know, he's working on the same thing. He's like, I need to do better moving into and out of position. So it seems like it's one of those skills that you're constantly working on, constantly refining and getting better at. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Do you ever listen to Steve Anderson? Not a lot, to be honest. Um, yeah, I haven't listened to his podcast very much. It's it's interesting because he he says, you know, he talks about it, um, and 
he calls it pausing instead of coming in and coming to a hard stop. Just kind of pause shortly, do what you need to do, and then keep moving along. So there isn't that come in, stop, then restart like you're talking about. You can almost kind of almost like there's a transition period from one movement to the other. You know, you're in that transition moment and then moving along. Yep, that's that's exactly what I was talking about. Okay, there we go. Now, was there anything in particular last year you feel at one of the matches you're like, man, if if I had been able to do this better at this match, I might have been able to blah, blah, blah. Probably steel, shooting steel. Um, mm. A lot of times I've, I'm, you know, it's easy to – easy to brush on steel i think you know whether you're shooting just you know a hair early on your transition you're just breaking that shot a tad early um but also just making sure that your sights are there you're not um, making some erratic shots on steel that i think was a big thing for me um in particular at area three last year i remember that still that uh, i really hit away a lot of my time makeup shots on steel yep Hmm. Okay. How good are you at calling your shots? Okay. There's sometimes <laughs> where there's sometimes where I make a perfect call, and then there's other times where I make I have a makeup shot that I really didn't need that I thought I did. So, mm. um, you know, and when you have those shots, you know, when you have those makeup shots that you really didn't need, you you know, two alpha or close alpha Charlie or something, and you thought. You know, one maybe wasn't even on the paper. It was a delta or something. Um, uh, eat some time, and it, it just it annoys you because you you just think I don't know why I did that, but I thought I should. You know, so that's um, calling my shots is something I've gotten better at, um, but I think there's still some room to improve there for sure. So you have a personal training for your physical development. Do you have a trainer you work with for your shooting development? Absolutely. We have, we've been fortunate enough to have um, a gentleman named Merle Eddington. He lives locally. He shoots locally. He's a previous national champion in USPSA. He's spent a lot of time with us um, refining things and just making small um, adjustments and you know, just making very particular changes uh, that he sees. And that's just helped, that's helped us make those small jumps up the leaderboard. Um, and then we've also, we've also gone outside of local to different training um, places to get some advice. Have you taken any classes from anybody other than Merle? Yeah. Um, Merle is the main one. And then we've had, we've been to the summit so with Ben's Ben Stegger, oh, Joel, okay, yeah, yeah, we're actually going this year. We went the past two years. It's been awesome. We've learned a ton. So we've continued to go to that, and we've trained with them. We've trained with Ben before, and we've trained with everybody who comes to the summit. And there's always a lot of things to learn. That's a lot of eyes on you in three days. There's a lot you yeah. can pick up. A lot of different things, absolutely. But here's here's something that. You can ask Mason about then. I just had him and Kay on, and he talked about one of the things he needed to do better was shoot steel. 
-hmm. and I was I was watching his um, uh, the Pan American Extreme Open they just had, and sure enough, he's ding and sting or steal, you know, one round hit on all the steel. Might be something to find out what he does differently now to to make sure he's hitting the steel. Yeah, because I I believe he's one of the instructors. He is. He is. He's one of the big names up there. Yes, he is. So there you go. There's something to talk to him about. Now, what are your thoughts on forecasting the future of competition shooting here? Trainers, and I don't want to say train coaching. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Shooting coaches. Do you ever foresee? Now you're you're young, but still, do you see where people might end up having coaching available to them? while they're shooting matches while they're shooting matches um yeah i mean obviously not while they're up at the line and things like that um, but if you're a new shooter and you're in the back and you've got a coach or somebody who is um in a coaching position and they um and they're giving you some advice that's yeah that's something i could see We'll take last year because, you know, obviously we haven't shot this year yet, but last year, whether it be at carry optics nationals or limited nationals, do you think there would have been a benefit in between stages being able to talk to somebody um, who's watching your shooting? Like say Merle went with you or, you know, you're in a position, Talladega is okay for um, reception mm-hmm. where, you know, you could literally – Let's say you and your brother are on the same squad. Now, this is a, a crazy scenario, but you and your brother are on the same squad. So he's videoing you, but he's also, Merle is able to watch you shoot the stage. Do you think there would be benefit then afterward, like you're back there getting your gear prepped, getting ready for the next stage, going through your mind what, what just occurred, where you and Merle could then talk about what just occurred on the stage and what to do going forward with the stages for me personally i don't think a stage by stage uh, recap would be good for me personally i think that by the time you're three or four four or five maybe stages deep into the match for that day now you've all of a sudden got a ton on your mind of what you need to focus on on a single stage. And I think that could just get maybe a little bit too much. Um, but 100% at the end of the day, you know, you're in your hotel room, Airbnb, whatever, and you're looking back at it and somebody says, if I had to pick two, three things that maybe you want to dry fire tonight or practice tonight in your living room with whether it's pudding or something like that, um, that 100% is a is a good idea i think um that would not at all be a problem but that would be um for me personally i think the best case scenario okay all right yeah now i i mean look there would have to be in order to really get coaching involved there'd have to be more money involved in the sport i mean nobody's really winning anything monetary wise in the sport, but I always look at golf, you know, they have their coach 
who's the available, you know, and, and they'll go over stuff before, you know, hole 17, they're talking about what they're going to do. So, and that's how I kind of compare, or that's what I compare it to. And I know that um, I had a guy who shot with JJ at Area 8, uh, maybe it was 2021, I think it was. And, you know, his dad was there with him and he was kind of like, they would talk about stuff in between stages. And it was almost like his dad was kind of still coaching him a little bit. You know, they were talking about different things with stages. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never, yeah. I mean, the golf analogy is a good one. I'm a big, I'm a, I got big into golf. So, mm. yeah, it's kind of a caddy, more or less. Um, you know, yeah. They've, they've been around the block and they know what the greens are doing and things like that. So they know. Yeah. No, that's a good analogy. Yeah. All right. So we talked about your training at the beginning of the season. How does your training change? We'll say mid season. So yeah, mid season, it would be my training would develop into more of what I know I need to work on to taking things from matches, taking, you know, my highlights from the matches and really bearing down on those um, in live fire and dry fire training and then go to the next match, look for and see if there was any progress, see if what I did was good and then also draw something new. So it's kind of this ever, you know, the snowball effect of finding, pulling different things from matches, finding new things to work on. And then that's how I'll, you know, make my last final practices leading up to nationals. I think the most beneficial for me. So what is that? What does that um, training look like, say, in the last six weeks before limited nationals? race gun nationals so yeah it would be i'll literally have like notes and you know on my phone or something like that um, i'll be watching my match videos in the car ride home or something like that and i'll be looking at the videos and i'll type everything into my notes on my phone and then i'll come to the range and i'll either use drills that merle has taught me or things from a ben steger book or things that i've learned from a ben steger class and i will do them and I will evaluate the cold run. You know, the cold run is really what I also look for is uh, you don't want to get in and, you know, try, you know, kind of gradually get into it and then start counting these runs. I want to evaluate the cold run, see where I'm at, and then really bear down on individual parts of that, whether it's transition, um, paper to steel, distance, um, things like that, you know, hard covers, um, moving into a position, or shooting on the move. It could be so many things, um, but I like to really isolate two or three things to do in one drill. I don't want to shoot a stage or something like that over and over in a practice scenario. But yeah, that is that is really what um, practice for me looks like. Okay. Did you see Eric Grafell was just in Florida teaching a class? I did see that. I heard about it. I didn't hear about it till I saw the postings of it. I was like, oh, that's got to be a, a pretty amazing class. I saw where he had posted. He was shooting 1,200 rounds a day before World Shoot. 
I was like, holy cow, that's a lot of ammunition. That is a lot. Wow. I've never heard anything like that. That is a lot. That's pretty impressive. That very, very impressive. Now, and it was interesting too. I don't know how much you saw of what people were posting, but he literally was only allowing people to shoot stuff one time. Like, this is it. You get one chance. That's it. Better make it count. Um, so it sounds like he's got a very interesting thought process in, in how he trains as well. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's got a very particular way. What is uh, What does your shooting schedule look like this year? So, so far, the matches we have on our calendar are Ozo's Classic, which is a fairly local match for us. It's just down in Billings, Missouri. It's about two hours. And then we have Dragon's Cup. We're finally making mm. it down there. We have it the past two times. And then we're going to plan on going to Area 3 and Area 4, Carry Optics Nationals and Limited Nationals. And then we'll have a couple of other Level 2 matches, um, probably uh, maybe the Cornhusker Classic up in Nebraska, uh, Free State, which is the most local match to us. It's a 20-minute drive from our house. Um, a lot of times we actually work that match. And then there's another local match, semi-local match down in Ozarks, basically. It's um, all classic. And then we're going to also go to Iowa again. Those are just off the top of my head, the highlights, basically the top matches that we make a regular appearance at every year. That sounds like a pretty good list. Now, how far is the drive to Iowa? It's about four and a half hours, four hours. That's it's not, not bad, bad at all. No, it's yeah. that's easy. Now, how how many majors are you getting in before carry optics? Ooh, that's a good question. I think I think about three, three, three or four. Okay. So not not a lot, but. Um, we'll have to see um, if we can maybe pick a couple up between now and then. But um, that'll be more of a, I think, I think we'll probably shoot matches in limited, major matches in limited, but practice mostly in carry optics leading up to that. That's intriguing. I was about to ask you, I was assuming you were going to be shooting all carry optics up to carry optics national. So what, is making you split it like that? Um, I mean, I don't know if that's 100% going to be the plan, but, I mean, depending on the match, maybe depending on who shows up for the matches, it could be a good scoreboard check just to see where we're, you know, um, standing oh, okay. up to these people. You know, uh, Lane is a Lane Grease is a guy who, he's fairly local to us. He's up in Nebraska. So he's always making an appearance to a lot of the matches we go to. So he's a good checkup for where we are. So carry op shooting carry optics against him is definitely something we would we would probably do just as a checkup. But um, limited is still where my focus is this year, and carry optics is not something I'm going to dismiss. But I'm definitely going to work on it. It's just limited is that little bit more, more important to me. I got you. You're not you're not looking to be a national champ this year in carry optics, so you're still focusing hard on limited. Yeah, limited is still my main focus this year. So what do you hope 
by shooting carry optics nationals, what do you hope to get out of that? Uh, another checkup confidence booster. Um, if we decide to really invest in shooting two divisions, start being like Nils, pick up a gun and go shoot a division and be a national champion. Um, you know, that's, uh, something we're starting to get into last year. It wasn't an all a priority. Um, carry optics was just an, like a, it was really just to see how good we could do. If we just picked up carry optics guns a couple of weeks out and shot the nationals and, but this year it's going to be much more of a, an invest, a time investment, I think. And really starting to get to that point where, um, you go into the safe, you pick up a 2011, you pick up the production gun or you pick up a carry optics gun, you go out and you have a shot at winning somewhere. That's kind of where we want to be. Nils is more than likely picking up a metal gun this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. They just came out with their rival S steel version. So, yeah. and I, I saw he posted a video from this weekend, the first time he shot it. And he's like, he's like, Oh my gosh, this thing shoots so flat. I'm like, Oh boy, just what everybody needs. Nils and a softer shooting gun. It's a pretty good looking gun. Yeah. I, I mean, I got to play yeah. around with it at shot show. So it was very nice. Prairie fire. Did you see mm -hmm. that stuff? I did see that. Now, you mentioned Dragon's Cup. Is this your first time shooting Dragon's Cup? First time shooting Dragon's Cup, yep. Okay. That seems to be gaining momentum as a very high-quality match. Prairie Fire, though, they just had a $100,000 entire prize table, cash, you know, $50,000 to the winner. Um, and they're just looking to grow it even bigger. Is that something you have, you guys have talked about and considered doing? Yeah, we, we really were thinking about it, doing it last year as kind of a, just something to see what it was like. Cause obviously that, you know, that money is very attractive. Like there's a lot of people and that's not a small amount of money. Yeah, no. So, but I've heard this, I, I don't know if they've officially said what it's going to be this year, this coming year, but I'm sure it's going to be another very large sum of money. And this year, I think we're going to explore that for sure. We'll make the travel for, to go to one of those sub-competitions for sure. Well, I know they have purchased um, Front Sight in Nevada, the range out there. So I'm not sure. I'm hearing rumblings that it may have changed their plans for this year. Um, but cause I know initially they were talking about a hundred thousand last year and a million dollar prize purse total for this year. But now I'm hearing rumblings that may not be the case. I don't know. So don't quote me on that, but another hundred thousand yeah. would still be good. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's not, yeah. Like I said, that's not a small amount of money. Um, I'd take that any day. Now, did you see what the competition was for the first two rounds? Uh, I don't think I remember. I probably, I'm sure I saw it, but I don't really remember what it was. So it's bullseye shooting for the first two rounds. Nil said he barely made it to round three. So bullseye shooting maybe, or I'll say group shooting, bullseye shooting. Mm -hmm. Might be something you guys want to consider going. Not a lot, just 
yeah. just to get used to it, you know, because it's different mindset, different way of yeah. doing it. But um, yeah, uh, I could see that being a game changer in competition, especially if you can draw money to the sport. That would be fantastic. Absolutely. So, which brings my next question, which is what does the future of shooting look like for Jack Brown? Um, it's going to be very, very involved with it. It's definitely going to take up a large chunk of my life, my time and probably money. Um, um, but balancing it with work and school and depending on if I decided to go out of state for my degree or not, uh, that would change. But I'd love to keep it um, a big part of my life and continue to do it for years and years and years. Do you ever have aspirations to be a professional shooter or are you looking more like the Christian Seiler model where I'll get a degree, I'll go into corporate business and try to maintain a high level of shooting on the side? Um, I would have to say probably my career would take priority over shooting full time. Um, okay. But, but for me right now, uh, I think that shooting is um, probably the, it's, it's something I do extremely good. And I'd love to, I'd love to definitely get the national championship uh, a, a run and see if I could win it. Is, is that your goal? Your ultimate goal that, is to be? That is a goal, yes. All right, now what about Ipsic? Is there Ipsic in your future? Ipsic, I'd love to try it. I've never shot it an Ipsic match before. Um, I'd love to try it because I know there's some. It's a lot different in some of the ways, um, as far as the stages are presented to you and things like that. So I'd love to give it a run. It seems like it's a it's a challenge in its own way, and I think I'll definitely, I think I'll definitely start making that a uh, a regular appearance in my schedule for the foreseeable future. And where I'm going with that is, do you foresee a, is, is a world shoot something you would like to do in the future? 100%. I'd love to do a world shoot. And that goes back to the agility training and what I wanted to mention earlier, because Ipsic seems to be one of those ones where you've really got to work on quickness and accuracy because everybody has to stay within the boundaries, you know, within the fault lines, can't step outside of the fault lines. And I feel like that's where, that's why I was asking so much about agility, where I think that plays a big part, and, you know, wherever you can get an advantage in that style of shooting, I feel like agility would be one of them, that ability to quickly change direction, move quick without taking huge steps you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I never you, thought about that uh, in particular, but now that you mentioned that, that is, um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I forget who I was talking to and they were doing, uh, you know, ladder drills. I'm trying to remember who it was now. And of course I don't, but I was like, that is a perfect, um, it might've been the Williams sisters. I, I don't remember, but that to me is a, a very good drill for Ipsic shooting because you're moving your feet you know, in a short or in a small space, very rapidly, 
And that's where I was asking about agility with the gun being, I, and I could see we're doing drills like that and keeping your gun up and on target and doing these drills, man, that could really pay dividends. Yeah. That being able to keep, uh, keep your sights on the target and keep your eyes and stay focused. Um, yeah. Yeah. But really being able to stay shifty and use your feet. Yeah. That can be something to explore for sure. Yeah. If you're able to separate your lower body from your upper body, meaning consciously. So now you've made it subconscious and your feet can do what they need to do while your eyes and everything is focused on what's going on up here. Holy cow. That's a deadly combination. Yeah, that could really work. Yeah, that can do a lot of damage. Yeah, for sure. Now, there is a particular question that JBO likes. And that question is, what does your make ready look like? So when you walk up to that stage at limited nationals, I guess in this case, Iron Sight Nationals coming up this year, and the RO says, make ready, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so me, I, I'll stand up there. Once they say make ready, I will cock the hammer on my position 2011. So I'll cock the hammer, put the safety up, get you know get set like I'm going to draw. Draw to the first target and do the first array if the first array is available. Um, but I will try and do dry fire, basically, the first array of targets. Well, first time is... The, the normal speed that I would shoot it at. Then the second time is I'll rack the gun again and I'll represent it and do it about 50% speed. And then third time I'll rack the gun again and do it at just snail's pace. Like get it on the target, eyes go to the next target, gun follows, hold the shot, eyes go to the next target and just really plan it out. Uh, get it ingrained in your memory, pick out particular spots on the target that I want to look at when I'm transitioning and when I'm going to be shooting that array. And then load the magazine, uh, put one in the chamber, put that magazine back on my belt, take one off my magnet, put it in, holster and safety, and then um, put my left arm down, keep my right, arm, right hand on the gun for about uh, a three-second count, drop it, and then go. So do you, at any point in there, do you visualize the entire stage or are you just doing that first array and that's it? Really all I'm visualizing with the gun is um, that first array. And then uh, the rest of the stages, I'll think about it in that three second thing. I'll just do a kind of a fast, fast forward relay of my plan in my mind and I'll just go. And, you know, from that, from the time I drop my hand and when they're, you know, are you ready? Stand by. I'm just laser focused on that first array. Where where do my feet need to be? And then just get on the right, get off to, because the thing for me is I just want to get off to as best a start as possible on every stage. Okay. Now, so a follow-up question then. In between the walkthrough and the time you go up to shoot, so obviously not the first stage because Brown's pretty quick. On that first stage, you're, oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of times you're the first shooter. Um, about always. Yeah. So let's say third stage of the day, you're almost in the very back of the shooting order. 
you've done your walkthrough. You've got 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever it is before you, you actually come up to shoot. Are you constantly visualizing or what are you doing in that time frame? So really for me is, uh, making sure nobody else is, I don't, I don't even want to really, I'll watch other people shoot, but I'm not going to pay attention to their score or anything like that, especially because mm. I just don't, especially if they're shooting another division, that makes absolutely no sense for me to worry about what they did on that stage. If they messed up, I don't care. I, it's not that I don't want that in my head, you know? So big thing for me is keeping basically everything everybody else does um, completely out of my mind and then just kind of reinforcing maybe there's one particular spot on the stage that I think requires, you know, to be in a very particular spot or a specific sequence. Uh, you have to activate the target or something like that. And I'll just kind of have that on the back burner and just be thinking about it, making sure that I've got it in the right sequence and all that stuff. And just kind of building that just con uh, confidence that, I know what I'm doing here and it's going to go great. Okay. Now I can see where you're at a normal major match. Um, Ozark classic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Chances are you're going to be on a squad where maybe it's just you and your brother. Maybe there's one or two other GMs on there. They may or may not even be in your division. So it's easy to isolate that. You know what I mean? To mm -hmm. maintain what you're saying. But you and your brother are going to be on the super squad at Ironsight Nationals coming up yeah. in October, September, October timeframe, whenever it is. Now, how do you, now you, there's nothing but everybody on that squad is looking to win nationals. So yep, now how are you like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to hear their time. La, 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 la. I don't want to see their scores. So how do you maintain that separation? So, yeah, that's actually something I've been thinking about because um, I don't want to get drawn into a race with – I don't want to get drawn into any kind of a race. I don't um, – that was something that happened to me last year a lot was, um, you know, I'd find somebody on the squad who was good. Maybe they were a little bit better than me at the time, and they'd shoot this in 15 and a half seconds. Oh, gosh, I got to be 15 and a half seconds. I got I to gotta at least be 15 and a half seconds. Um, so I don't, I don't want that to happen. Hopefully, um, I'm the one putting the pressure on everybody else. That's the ideal situation is I just don't care what they do. That's so that's something I have been thinking about actually is how I'm going to deal with that mentally. And basically my big goal is ignore them. Like I, I'm not going to just sit there in the corner and shut up and say nothing and plug my ears. And like you said, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to talk to them, you know, I mean, I'm going to get, I, you know, you got to bounce ideas off each other, evaluate, you know, certain situations. But um, when they're calling the times and stuff like that, when they're calling the hits, I'll be out there, you know, chasing the targets and reset and steal or whatever, but I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'll be you know, focused on myself. Okay. Uh, you know, I, this brings up another point. Um, conversation I had with Nils recently about competing and he made the statement he goes 
I wasn't, and we were talking about carry optics nationals. He goes, I wasn't the best shooter out there. He said, I was the best competitor. Now, what you're talking about is competing. And what I told Nils was, I, I, I've brought this up several times. Like I feel that that is an art that not a lot of people fully grasp is how to be a competitor. And I feel like those guys at that level, like Nils and Max, Michelle, maybe even Max Leo Grandis, you know, I mean, he's dominating PCC. They've mastered the art of competition where they're able to isolate themselves from a great run, you know, and they're able to still shoot their game, prioritize, you know, what the important aspects of this stage are and what their strengths are. Um, do you, and I said, I feel like there's a market there for very good shooters who are looking to take that last step to reach that top pinnacle. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. You got to, um, you got to be able to have more or less like the priorities of what you should be working on. And, you know, for me, um, when it comes to stuff like that, I used to be terrible with the mental game, you know, come off a bad run. I'm just beating myself up about it. I'm like, I was stupid. Why didn't, why did you do that, Jack? Like you should have gone back, had that makeup shot. You should have slowed down on that steal. See, it's, it's a big mental thing for me and you got to, you got to like prioritize, um, you know, just whatever happened, happened, you know, you can't change that. It's never going to change. So you just got to work on the future um, and just make, do the best you can. Is that something you would seek out with someone like a Max Michelle, a Max Lear Grandis, a Nils, um, even a Ben Steger when you're at the PSTG, PSTG Summit? and talk to him about competing 100%. at that very high level. Okay. Yeah. That's something um, I'd always love to hear people's, um, you know, Ben's been, he's done everything. So he can answer just about any question. So uh, I always am bouncing ideas off of him. And that's definitely something I should explore bouncing off of him. The, how to be just really like the top level competitor you can be. Yeah, I mean, he, um, I'm going to it now so I get the number correct. I want to say, what, eight-time consecutive, seven or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight-time national champion. Yeah. So so he he obviously has a very firm grasp at that very top level of what you have to do to repeat and and not collapse at any time because – I even had the conversation with Juanzik two years ago at Carry Optics Nationals. He was leading after day one. And he said he was like out of his mind, like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. How do I do this? I've never been in this position before, you know. Um, it was a very interesting conversation. And I'm not saying everybody would be like that. Um, and he's a very high level shooter himself. So it was interesting that, you know, it affects people different people different ways 
And I feel like there's a market there for everybody who's on super squad, like open, limited, carry optics, production, the big four, I'll call them. I feel like there is a market there for a class like that or, or that instruction, just being able to sit down and chat with them like yourself, your brother, um, like Isaac Lockwood, people like that. That's what Nil said. He said Isaac Lockwood was the the best shooter he saw at Carry Optics Nationals. He said when he learns to compete, he's going to be very hard to beat. So I see a market there. I mean, is that something that if Ben Steger at PSTG Summit offered a an hour-long seminar just on how to compete at Nationals and how to be a champion, is that something you would sit in on? 100%. I would be there for it. Um, yeah, if, if you could just become somebody who's just basically just a stone cold killer and you don't, you can just not let anything affect you mentally, uh, yeah, you'd be hard to beat. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's where I feel like there, there, there's an audience and a need, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's it's oh there. Yeah, there's, there's a demand for it. Absolutely. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. A demand. Thank you. Well, Jack, that looks like that's all I've got. Is there anything you want to add? Right. No, I don't think so. Thanks for having me on. Okay. It's a lot of fun. Oh, shoot. Thanks for coming on, man. I, these are awesome yeah. conversations. I love them. No, yeah. It was great to be on. I look forward to seeing it. Final product. Okay. Yeah. And I, I hope to have you on again. Okay. Absolutely. We'll bring you on at the end of the season, and then we can talk about what your training was during the year, what your results were, and, and you if you felt your training worked towards your results. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs>